This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, welcome to Drinking with Authors, the literary edition. I'm your host, Erica Lamb. With me co-hosting today is the amazing yet sassy C.R. Rice. <laughs> and our guest today is Lainey Cameron. Ooh. Okay, we're going to talk about what we're drinking. Um, I am drinking, by the way, um, I can't remember who told me about this, one of our podcast guests, Viking Blood, which is a honey mead which by the way, is really, really ridiculously potent. He said to get the black bottle. I got the black bottle. Yeah. So definitely don't drink this and drive. That's what I'm going to say from, as you know, audience, somebody who drinks regularly. CR, what are you drinking? I am still doing, I am doing the Tito's and and Tito's and vodka. Just that's great. Those Um, are Tito's and cranberry. With a little bit of key lime juice because you went all fancy. You, it is fancy. It's super fancy. Lainey, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a mezcal cocktail. And if you're not familiar with mezcal, it's made from agave, which is a type of cactus, just like tequila, except that there are many types of agave and only a few of them can be used for tequila. And tequila is regional. It has to come from the tequila region. And agave can come from um, a mezcal made from agave can come from anywhere in Mexico. So there are many, many, many mezcals and not that many in the States yet, but it's becoming hipster trendy. What is a mezcal? I've just realized like you use these words on the last podcast. And now I've realized, I don't even know what the hell she's saying. Because I was like, that's a tequila, obviously. Yeah, it is. I got a bottle here. So here's the one I'm drinking. It's called Cuatro Ciento Conejos, which means 400 bunny rabbits. And a mezcal is generally clear. This is a, a almost finished. Oh, we'll you drunk quite well a bit of it. that bottle. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a neat alcohol, a strong alcohol. This one's 40% made from cactus, made from the agave cactus. Is it sweet? Is it like... We it's need more a- similar to whiskey, but it's Ooh. got a different taste. It's so it's strong like whiskey, but, and I love whiskey too, but it's got more of a cactus taste and it actually tastes really different depending on the type of cactus. So it's always agave, which are the spiky ones. And what they do is they cut off the outside leaves and the middle looks like a pineapple. And that's what they grind down and roast to make. And that's how they make the alcohol. But um, it depends on the type of agave plant. And some of them have to grow as long as 45 years before they can use them to make mezcal out of. Okay, I'm going to need you to email me the name of this alcohol and then I'm going to search it. And then I'm going to have it on a podcast. I already got it. Told me. You got it. Good. <laughs> Find it. We're going to connect. I'm, we're going to do this. This is exciting. Okay. This is rapid fire questions, Lainey. Are you ready? Okay. Let's go. Okay. If you have cheat notes, I'm going to know. What is your favorite book of all time? Oh, man. Uh, Life and Other Near-Death Experiences by Camille Pagan. Although I, I have a hard time choosing one, but let's go with that. Why? Because it's just that right mix of painful and grief and hopeful. And it happens to be in women's fiction, which is the genre I write. But I just feel like she nailed everything. She pulls you in. The emotion grabs you. It's hopeful by the ending. But the woman is struggling with cancer and you're not sure if she's going to die through the book. It's a really, it's a really just hopeful book. When it leaves you feeling warm and gooey. Oh, well, that's good. I like warm and gooey or terrified, one of the two. Um, <laughs> What is your least favorite book of all time? 
oh, that's not a fair question to ask an author. I catch it is. I ask. Else. I've literally asked hundreds. Really, of I blab on them every time. Oh man, <laughs> that's okay, question so number two I've, of the I'm, hundreds of authors. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to throw a particular name under the bus, but I am going to say that I don't really do literary fiction, and I especially don't appreciate in the way that many other people do highbrow literary fiction or literary fiction that tends to be picked up by the New York, New York Times and vaunted as like, this is the best thing. This author, generally men, writes fabulously. Um, and especially when it's men who write about women and they write shitty, ridiculous things about how they look at their breasts in the mirror in the morning. And so any guy who writes shit ass stories about women that are clearly written by a dude, those are the books that just drive me crazy. <laughs> oh my God, that's so true. It's very funny because some really because men, I feel like everybody should just look at their boobs every morning, right? Like, well, where did that even come the from? The of her breasts. Like, who stands and does that in the morning? Give me a break. I'm not saying we don't look at our boobs, but that shouldn't be counted amongst the things that one does in the morning <laughs> ever. Um, you know, it's interesting because there are some men that absolutely nail it with women. They absolutely nail it, and it's vice versa because. A lot of women authors write male characters right and i i've actually and, and this is so not aimed at just men i've seen women write terrible male characters like horrible male <laughs> characters and i'm like that's that's not a guy that actually exists in the world that you just wrote that's not a real person and not because they're swooning over her or whatever because no guys can absolutely do that it's just funny to me when you read and you go there is no way a male would ever say this in the entire world. They don't look at it that way. It's do your fucking research, people. Okay. Next just what question. a girl wants to hear. Yeah. And that's what she writes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna ask a question, then you're next up, CR. You know, I got, I got this. Oh, you do? I okay. Well, this. what's your question before mine then? What is your writing process? What is your perfect writing setting? Oh. I am actually struggling with this over the last few months because I don't do well without quiet. Like I need a closed door and I need to not be disturbed. Also, like no can, music, like, no background, yeah, no dead music. Silence. Like sometimes I'll start with music. I keep trying because everybody tells me, no, you should write to music. It'll block out the outside. But sometimes I'll start with music. But as soon as I get into the book and I'm into the story, I have to switch it off. It's just distracting to me. But it's interesting because I love coffee shops and during these COVID times, it's not really like you can go hang out in coffee shops in the same way. I love the surrounding buzz and I can totally zone that out. But if one person is having a conversation like 20 feet from me, I cannot like work. I just, I need it to not happen. And so I, I don't know. I don't know if I can train my brain to work with more distractions, but I struggle when there's a lot going on, just individual conversations. We should Google if YouTube has like eight hours of a busy room. There is. <laughs> it probably there is. does. There is. Um, there's a thing called Kofifi, which is basically a coffee shop sound that you can play on your speaker. I, I do it sometimes. I love it. That sounds like a brilliant. I've learned so much from you today. So much from you. I feel so much more informed. I should do that because I actually play Celtic music, believe it or not, mm -hmm. in the background because it, it's just music and it doesn't have lyrics. I'm one of those people that if I understand or start understanding the lyrics, I start singing along and then I get lost in the whole fucking song. Like Same I can't here. do it. Same here. No lyrics. Can't have lyrics. Yep. See, I have to have my headphones in music blasting. I don't, I don't even pay attention to the song and like I use earbuds. So like, it's not even like it's headphones that could get knocked off or anything. Right. And I just, 
well, my writing is chaos anyway. Okay, but like, I was gonna I say, so jealous. I wish I could do that. Really, I truly like. I keep trying to train. You really don't, because if you saw my drive, it would probably give you a heart attack. It would give you a heart attack if you are organized by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> that little part of OCD in you would see what she does and lose it, because she doesn't write linearly at all. She writes different scenes and then goes i'm gonna put them together i've seen her thing yeah it's, it's not even all in the same book either it's just like yeah small <laughs> hey, uh, if it works for you who cares everybody's writing styles different yeah. okay what is your favorite book to movie or tv show oh gosh um i'm a big fan oh god i'm gonna sound like such a romance fan now um i'm a big fan of anything by working title so like four weddings and a funeral love actually um all words and music all of the kind of montage type uh life is not as it seems but somebody's gonna have a happy ending but not everybody by the end of the movie I love those right. kind of movies I don't know why they just talk to me I, I don't know if it's something about the montage cast or the idea that there's multiple maybe I'm also a little like ADD there's multiple things going on at once multiple storylines and some of them are going to end happy but you never know which ones um yeah I'm a big fan of those and also probably a little bit of the honestly they got a lot of Hugh Grant Bridget Jones is also that same company um they've also got a lot of Hugh Grant in them and who didn't love Hugh Grant and I'm British so I don't know something about the British accents in some of these movies that just makes me feel at home I agree but are those books to movies oh that's a good question Bridget Jones would count in that category um although we're I talking really a book to a movie or tv show okay so Love actually Jones. is Bridget one of Jones. my favorite movies yeah. but Brid Bridget Jones would be in that category then um, even though the third one I really struggled with, but um, that was I did Rob Bridget, Bridget Jones's baby or something. My husband's mother is obsessed with those, and I that it just the third one. I just like she does something in the first chapter of the book where I was just like, no, you cannot do that to your reader. That is not okay. <laughs> and you throw the book at them. What is yes, the I literally threw the book down. <laughs> it's one of the few times I've like thrown the book on the ground. Like no. Oh my goodness! What about? Um, what is your least favorite book to movie where they took a book you loved and you went, this Ooh. fucking sucks. Gosh, this is where I have to admit that like, I don't actually watch that much TV and movies. Um, it's interesting. My husband's a huge movie buff and he keeps trying to get me to watch stuff and I'll watch like what he suggests, but generally I don't watch that much. Um, we're working our way through the expanse right now because he like is literally like making me watch it one episode at a time and it's great, but I don't even have an answer for that. Um, worst TV to movie. Um, okay, The Circle really pissed me off. Here's one that really, really pissed me off. The, the main, show? The Circle is a movie. It's about, oh, a, no, tech, it's about a tech company, um, <laughs> which is kind of a pseudo Apple cross with Google tech company. Um, they're called the circle because their office is a big circle, just like the new Apple headquarters. And um, it's a young protagonist in her 20s who in the original book is Asian. And in the movie, it's like Emma, Emma. Watson. Watson. And that pissed me off no end. I'm like, really? You couldn't find a decent Asian actress? Like, seriously, you had to change it into a popular one? That just pissed me off. I'm like, why, why not? I don't know, I just, that one, the whole movie pissed me off, but just starting with the casting really annoyed me. I love that we had so many emotions that just happened right there <laughs> from that question. It was, it was like the, the diagram you see at the hospital where it's like, what's your pain level? It's like, started <laughs> out happy and then it just got like, 
Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, uh, next question is you, you like quiet. Do you read a lot? I do. I read a lot and I read pretty fast and sometimes I overcommit myself on reading because I've been doing a lot of reading for book blurbs for other authors. And then because I have a podcast, I don't try and read every book that's on the podcast, but I do try and read a lot of them before I talk to the authors. And so sometimes I get overcommitted and then that, that gets a little stressful, but I, I do read a lot. I probably read a book a week or more, I would guess, which some well, people read way more than that. But as somebody who does this as a podcast for almost 200 episodes now, I would love to read everybody's book. I do not have the time to read everybody's book. Um, so don't, I never feel guilty about that because authors love to talk about their books. So even if you haven't read it, trust me, they will share everything in the world with you about the book. Um, which is totally fine, especially if they have a ton of books, then it, you're never going to win that anyway. Right. Exactly. Um, question, do you finish a book all the time? No, if a book's really pissing me off, I'll just set it aside. The exception being is if I am trying to read it to do an endorsement for somebody, I will read it to the end. But um, whether I endorse it or not is a different question, but I will read it to the end. Unless it like is so offensive in the first three chapters that I'm like, no frigging way. Uh, which has only ever happened once. Um, but uh, in general, if I'm not enjoying a book, I'm going to set it aside. Like life's short. Why would I, why would I force myself to read to the end if I'm not enjoying it? Like, I Does it like bother you under your skin, like leaving it unfinished? You know, what bothers me is like 90% of something. So like if I read it to 90% of the way through, I would have to read the last 10%. This drives my okay. husband crazy. So like anything in life, if I do it 90% of the way, I am going to do the last 10%, God damn it, no matter what. And so like, <laughs> if I've made it that far, I'm finishing it, even if they're going to like kill all the characters and like make me sad or whatever, I, I could not finish it if I made it 90% of the way. But if right. I'm not into it by like 30% of the way through the book, I'll happily set it aside. Like life is short. Why would I keep going? Well, that makes sense. Right. I mean, it's, it's very true when it... I see I'm a firm believer it's interesting you're doing book blurbs because I talk to a lot of authors and and the more um popular they get the less they do that except for good friends because you're committing a lot of time and you're also opening yourself up to reading something that is not good you know that and it's very hard especially if somebody's like oh my god lady's gonna review my book and you're like yeah no I'm not no, I'm not. I'm not giving you a blurb. It is a delicate dance. And like, I was advised by other authors that, you know, you always want to use the language, like I'll review it with a view to a possible blurb, but can't promise anything. But still, that still doesn't make it easy if you ever do have to go back and say, hey, I'm not going to, right? For whatever reason, like I was just talking with another author yesterday who said, this book won't appeal to my readers. Nothing wrong with the book, but the book will just won't appeal to my readers. And I don't want to be implying to my readership who like like think of the example of like clean romance and you're asked to review a book that's not clean and so you know you're gonna piss off your own readers if they pick it up because they think that you're recommending it and it turns out to not be clean and they read you because they only want clean romance and so it's just like you are sometimes dealing with that and it's a little dicey and you have to be thoughtful about you know you don't you don't want to um this is too strong a word, but betray your own readership either by implying that something is going to be liked by them if you know that it's not and it's not a fit. And so, yeah, it's hard if you have to say no. It's it's difficult and awkward. I think a lot of authors choose not to blur books for that reason. Like 
if, if it's somebody you know and you've read and you, you know, whatever, you're great on those. But a lot of authors I know are uh, too busy. I use quotation marks to read the books because that's true. It also cuts into a lot of time you could be writing if you're reading a lot. It, it does, but I've had so much help from other authors to get to where I am that it's important to me to give back. So I'm going to keep trying. And, you know, over time, maybe I won't be able to do quite as many. And it's a lot of burden running my podcast too, because I do author interview like an author every week during the season. But, you know, for me, that's just a way of getting to know other authors and also just giving back to the community that's helped me so much. I think it's great. I think it's great that you do it. I just, I'm warning authors out there, be careful committing to that because it gets yes. a little crazy. Okay, CR, yes. what's your next question, my friend? How do you write your book? Do you start from chapter one and go to the end or do you write pieces and put it together? This second time has been different than the first one. This second time, I actually spent a lot of time up front mapping out the character and the character's growth arc before I even mapped out the plot. And then I focused on the plot and what was going to happen in what order, but at a high level. I'm definitely more towards the pantser end of the scale than the plotter end of the scale. Like if I truly wrote out like every single scene and what's going to happen, I would just want to burn the thing before I even started. I just, I, that, it may, the more I know about what's happening, the less I want to write it. And so I, this time it's different because I did have kind of a high level outline, maybe like 20 big things that are going to happen in the book. And then I wrote it from beginning to end in the first draft. And in the second and third draft, I'm also kind of revising from end to end. Although what I did is I wrote all the scenes out on index cards, and then I tried to map the character's growth card arc across the cards, and I rearranged a lot of the scenes. So it's not at all in the same order that it started in draft one. Like after draft one, draft two, the scenes are in very different places than where they started out. Okay. That's, I think that's great. You know, you have to find how it works best for you to write it. Every author's different. I mean, I, I also, do you consider yourself a plotter, a planner? I think, um, what do they call people who are in the middle? A plotzer? Um, I, I first book, I was definitely more of a pantser. Like I, like I wrote the thing and I didn't know where it was going and I didn't know the ending. And, you know, every chapter was a new journey of, Oh, let's go here. Let's go there. So of course the revision was a nightmare because it was like a squiggly snake going in every direction and it had no curve or arc to it. And so this time I really was determined not to do it that way. And so I've had more plot, but I'm still not like a full on plotter, maybe by book seven, I'll get there. But right now, I don't know, it just, it bothers me to know everything that's going to happen. I feel like it stifles my creativity. But then I also respect writers who do that. Some of the writers I respect the most are amazing and they plot everything end to end. And I just look at them and go, wow, how do you do that? No, I know a lot of authors that do that. I am a, so a pantser, whatever, actually even minus pantser that exists. Like <laughs> I don't have bullet points most of the time necessarily when I'm writing. I just sit down and start writing. And I think every author has to find their niche on how they do that. Because Me. I've also watched authors that do so much plotting and they have 50,000 words of plot and they can't get their story done. And I'm like... Well, then you also have those people that plot it out so much. It literally looks like the book is already written. They have like 15 pages of like outline. And I'm like, how do you not already give up at that point? No, but I also not. have no direction whatsoever. So I'm really not one to, to go on for this one. Yeah. So what throws you out of the story the quickest? 
self compare comparing myself to other writers like comparison is deadly like if instead of like focusing on what I'm writing and what I'm trying to do and telling my story I'm looking at what happened for this other writer and this award and how well this other person writes and gosh I wish I could do scenery like Barbara O'Neill and gosh I wish I could write emotion like my friend Allison Hammer and oh gosh that'll kill my creativity and just get me like standing up from my chair and gonna go do a Zumba class so like yeah comparing myself or trying to trying to write like somebody else instead of writing like me. What about when you're reading, what throws you out? Ooh. Backstory, like a um, timeline. Like when, when someone takes a timeline, it you know, all things work well when done well, right? So you can't, there's no square rule that says this can never be done. But I've often been thrown out of a book where like you read part one, often this is in books that are like part one, part two, part three. You read part one and you're into the story and you want to know what happens to the character and you flip the page and it says part two and you start with a whole different character 200 years ago. And I just go like, really? I got to start back at the beginning. You just got me invested and now you're going to make me start with a whole other person I don't give a damn about 200 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so that will like flip me out of a book. And that actually is one of the reasons I've set books aside. Like, like you got to work out in that case, how are you going to pull me into that second storyline? Because I'm not going to give you a second chance to start from scratch on page one. It's funny you say that because one of the, um, a couple of the authors I've talked to recently when I asked them this question said, when people backstory, but don't work it into the existing story that's occurring and kind of go, hold please, I'm going to take you to this other thing and right. insert it. And instead of making it part of what's happening and even, uh, you know, this reminds me of this situation, blah, blah, blah. But when they're like, and when they entered the room and it was exactly like they did in 1855 when blah, blah, blah. And you're like, what? That has been huge lately. I know a yeah. lot of the books because I, I kind of read a little bit of everything and in between writing, that's what I do. And I've noticed that is in a lot of books out right now, like the new yeah. releases and things like that. It'll be, um, I was reading a, a paranormal fantasy uh, yesterday, I believe. And that's exactly what it was. This girl walked into the forest and then it's, it like ended the chapter because she saw something. And then all of a sudden you're 20 years in the past and it's talking about something that had literally nothing to do with the story nothing you read this one chapter that gives you background and they never touch it again yeah they, and they I don't feel even like, recognize that it was written. I feel like I feel like there used to be a role that like I, I like Jenny Nash um she runs author accelerator says like don't bring in backstory unless the character is going to refer to that in their head for a good reason at that moment. Right. So if like, there's yeah. some reason when for it, then right? cool. But like, yeah. just to be like, Hey, fun fact in 1815, there was a snake over here. Continue right. with your story. But, but I feel like, like people are using chapter breaks as an excuse now. Right. So it used to be, you had to wind it into the story and you had to work hard to make it not be, she looked at the table. That table was there in 1786 when such and such happened, but you had to really like force it. Like you, that was obvious. So you couldn't do it anymore. So now what they do is they do chapter break 1776. Well, you're doing the same damn thing to the reader. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's totally yes no agreed it's it's interesting i actually it's interesting when i ask that question to authors and they're like oh no i have to finish a book every time and i'm like seems like a gigantic waste of time but the book is not good to finish it um i'm looking on the bookshelf behind you i think i know this answer but do you like paperback versus or hardcover versus 
you know, e-readers and audiobooks? So it's interesting because when we got this house in Mexico, it came with these beautiful bookshelves that are behind me, which were full of books that weren't mine, which I then went through and gave most of them away and then started filling it with my books. But I actually, because we travel, I just posted actually um, on my Instagram on Monday, a photo of the books that I brought back with me because I actually brought 12 books in my suitcase, right? So try and imagine like I'm a nomad. I travel around the world. I live out of a suitcase and I had 12 frigging books in my suitcase. So the answer is I mostly read on eBooks because you can't <coughs> practically travel around the world with paperbacks when you're reading a book a week, right? Like think about it. How would that possibly work, right? And you also can't get the paperbacks in countries outside the US, right? So mostly I'm in countries that are not even English speaking countries. So I would have to have them shipped to me. And I actually have done that. Some of the ones on the shelf behind me are ARCs that um, there's a dude in Texas who puts stuff on the back of a pickup truck once a week and drives it down from Texas to San Miguel. And that's how I get my paper ARCs when someone needs to send me a paper copy and I pay the guy to bring them down from Texas. But in general, I'm the one person who actually says, can you just give me the electronic instead of the paper? Because I don't want to have to try and get the paper book to find me where I am in the world. It's way too hard. So I love paper, but the reality is I read eBooks. I feel like the the social protocol, like, you know, in the olden days when you had a book, people left you alone. Nowadays, since a lot of people have books or on their like phones and tablets, everybody's like, oh, they're just looking at like Facebook or something. Let me interrupt their day. Oh, don't. When I used to work in tech, I would try this where I'll do this with my own book where you'd sit at the breakfast table and I would do this with a paper book at the breakfast table, which I don't know how that doesn't say leave me the F alone guaranteed at least two dudes would come up while I was having breakfast and strike up a conversation with me. I'm like, what do I need a sign around my neck that says, leave me the F alone? <laughs> yeah. See, that's like where it. you got to, you got to look up from your book and go, no, and you just <laughs> go back to your book. That's all you say. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to have social cues. Just go, no. And <laughs> I think there are points in time where we need to be nice and points in time where we don't. Um, how many stories have you, do you, do you feel like you're starting to get a story graveyard where you put stories that maybe um, you started but didn't end up going anywhere? I only, it sounds sad, but I only have one in the graveyard so far. So, so the first book, I worked it until it worked and it came out and it did well. The second one was also going to be set in Silicon Valley, and I had an idea for a story, but it just didn't quite work. And I still think there's something there, but someday I'll maybe be able to come back and work out what's missing, but something was missing. That story just to me wasn't worth spending, however long it'll take to write it. And then I have this one I'm working on right now, which is going to be my second book, which is this digital nomad Instagrammer. So I've only got one in the graveyard. I went quite far with it in terms of like the construct. I didn't write it. I didn't write the first draft. But it just, it just didn't, it didn't like, ugh, didn't gel. I think maybe because I was trying to write about a theme instead of writing about a character. Now that I look back at it, I really wanted to write about um, something that's happening in Silicon Valley, which is, uh, I'm trying to think about how to say this, but uh, the nice way to say it is irrational exuberance, which is the idea that that we'll go into a board meeting or whatever and we'll pump up our numbers and we'll pump up our user numbers and we'll be the most you know exaggerated, enthusiastic in the world. But there's a thin line between that and what's going on, for example, with um, Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, which is outright lying and cheating and making shit up. And I've been in both situations and I feel like people aren't really seeing it yet. And if people from outside of Silicon Valley saw that, they'd be like, that's just plain lying. And so I just couldn't quite get the plot to work in the way that it was too messagey. I was trying to send a message instead of trying to write a book. And one day I'll work out what that plot is that's actually a book, not a message. 
No, that makes sense. Yeah. And we've seen so much of that. It's always interesting to me when that happens and you have people and you go, how did you, how did everybody miss this? How did everybody fall for this situation? Like, not that um, it's, it's horrible and it's criminal and all this other stuff, but you got to go, how did, how did everybody not catch on that there wasn't an actual product like at all? Because a lot of people, you know, if you, especially as terrible as it is, if you hit somebody who is a narcissist or somebody who has just that little bit of ego, just to be able to have that ability and be like, nope, I did this first. They don't need anything else. If you create some type of competition, it's completely psychological. It's actually quite brilliant. It's a terrible thing and nobody should ever do it. But like, well, there's a there's a higher percentage of sociopaths in the fields of CEOs and politicians Mm -hmm. than any other field, right? Because the the ability to manipulate people to get them to do what you want them to do is a core skill in those jobs. And so, yeah, there's a very high percentage of sociopaths in those fields. Absolutely. No, it's totally true. It's very funny because people recognize a sociopath, but that's a different topic. Okay, so- Next question. Um, so you're traveling around the world. Do you find places as you're traveling to write from? Like when you're there or do you? We book rent. Do you write outside? Do you ever go? Because you said you need quiet. Do you ever go just to a natural place and write and stuff like that? Yeah. I, like I said, I love coffee shops. I, I adore coffee shops. It's been harder now with COVID to do the coffee shop working thing. But um, yeah, I love work coffee shops. We were in Cartagena, Colombia for almost six months. And there were a couple of coffee shops there that I adored that I would work for hours. Um, also, they have great coffee, which didn't hurt. Um, <laughs> Colombia has fabulous coffee. So yeah, I love coffee shops. But we always rent. Like when we look at a rental, we're looking at like, let's say we're renting through Airbnb or let's say we're working with a local rental company. We're looking at the photos and looking at like, does it have separation? Are the two work areas, one for my husband and one for me at opposite ends of the house? Are we going to be in each other's space? Because we generally pick places that we can go all day and not see each other. It's like we both went off to the office for the day. And you know, people who have houses kind of take that for granted because they've got that set up sometimes. But if you're renting, you really have to think about it and look at the photos and look at the doors. And like, sometimes you'll have two spaces, but there's actually no door in the middle we've been known to like email the airbnb host and say it looks like there's no door is that right and they're like yeah there's no door we're like yeah that will work for us that's awesome you said cartagena i know this from um romancing the stone yeah cartagena and chelsea who's way younger than both of us is like what the fuck are you talking about i have no idea what you're talking ironically this is a movie about a woman who writes romance books And because of something her sister does, she gets involved in this entire plot and ends up um, romancing the stone in the Jewel of the Nile are the two books. And it's Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. And they are brilliantly amazing movies. But in the movie, she goes to Cartagena. She has to go to Cartagena. And it's a whole thing. And it's the first time I ever heard of Cartagena. And, you know, it's funny how many people that's their sphere of reference. Yeah. Yep. Got back. You, you should watch they're they're very good and it's very funny because it's this little author girl who's super conservative and whatever and she writes all these wild romance movies but lives at home with her cat and yes. has to suddenly you gotta go get out somehow you gotta just epic adventure. 
but it's also a fabulous city to visit. I recommend it. We loved it there. Just music in every doorway, fabulous food. People were so friendly. It's a really great city to visit. That was awesome. Okay. So Chelsea, I'm going to let you ask the last question. Okay. Would you rather have the ultimate get out of jail free card or have a key that will literally open any single door? Ooh, I think the get out of jail free card sounds fun because you could pick something that you know is going to be self-destructive and do it anyway. Like, like yeah. some things you don't do because you just feel like they're just going to be too self-destructive to go there. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, you could do, you could take all the drugs, you could jump off all the buildings, you could, I mean, I assume you could do all the things, right? So, or, or are you talking about like actual jail? Like I'm going to kill somebody and I'm going to get out of jail. <laughs> yeah. Like the ultimate get out of jail free card. Like you could do anything you wanted and you would not get in trouble for it or a key that could open any door. I think the get out of jail free card that would that would open a lot of possibilities to have a lot of fun. Oh my mm. goodness! Yeah, <laughs> I, just I love that you asked. I love that you asked that question. Okay, <laughs> Whitney, what advice? What one now give advice would you give authors? Find your community because it's a long and sometimes torturous and often depressing and sometimes elating journey. And you want to take that journey with other people in your court, cheering for you and cheering you up when you need it. And it's so much more fun that way. Very, very cool. Okay. Shameless self-promotion time. Pick up your book again. The nope, Exit Strategy. called The Exit Strategy. It's the story of a wife and a mistress who meet each other across the negotiating table. And it's won 12 awards. And people say it's a page turner. And check out the reviews. It's lots of girl power and feminist and fun. Awesome. And how do people find you? LaineyCameron.com. And you can find all my social media and blog and everything there. And you're going to get mad at me for bringing it up in the last minute. I also have a podcast called The Best of Women's Fiction, where I interview authors of women's fiction that I admire and talk about their books and get their writing advice. Very, very cool. This is awesome. It's totally amazing to support the writing community. And you've been thoroughly fun to have on this podcast. You are absolutely amazing. Thank you. And I really appreciate you inviting me. This has been a blast. Fun. Okay, this has been Drinking with Authors, a literary briefs edition. I've been your host, Erica Williams. My co-host today is the amazing C.R. Rice, and our guest has been the award-winning Lady Cameron. Yay! And we will see you guys next time. <laughs>